Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot, the tennis podcast by fans. I'm Joel. I'm Kim. And today we are catching up on round two at the French Open. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Kim, we are now at the end of round two in Roland Garros. And again, we've had some very eventful matches over the last couple of days. We've had a bit of aggro, a bit of tetchiness, um, on the, on the tennis courts. We've had quite a few five setters, actually, I think, in the, in the men's, uh, in the men's game. And I think to everyone's surprise as well, we had a sonic boom, literally wake up all of Paris, um, including the, the French Open site uh, yesterday. It was really a moment that I was a bit like, uh, what is going on here? Well, Joel, call me ignorant, but I didn't even know what a sonic boom was uh, <laughs> before yesterday. And then, yeah, I, I watched a clip of it, but I wasn't I wasn't watching live when that happened. And then I watched a clip back and it does sound like there's just a massive explosion. So, you know, if you were there and not expecting it, you would have been quite sort of terrified of what it could be but but yeah it was just the plane going over basically uh at the end of the day just a really really fast plane so <laughs> there we go <laughs> yeah the gov the paris uh the french government came out to basically say that um yeah a plane had to go really quickly uh i.e over the speed of sound uh to help another plane that had lost i think they had lost contact with so that was a kind of the the reasoning um but yeah it, was, it wasn't something you ever you see every day but i think it just kind of hammers home the point that this is the french open uh, you know, it's just it's just a very odd time for tennis to be played, and it just adds to that sort of like weird factor that we're you know we're all experiencing. And um, you know, I think kind of just kind of moving on, the first uh, you know thing that happened in in kind of round two, one of the things I think we were you know we were probably most looking forward to uh, in terms of kind of matchups was Serena Williams versus uh, Peronkova, uh, Setsana Peronkova in in the third round, and. Um, yeah, second it, it round, came girl, up. Second round. Oh, sorry, I keep thinking we're on the third round. Right? It's because of the it's three days. It's because of Sunday the... start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's confusing. Sorry. We're in the second round. In the second round, and yeah, we were really looking forward to that match, but um, unfortunately, Serena Williams had to pull out. Had to pull out of the French Open because of an Achilles injury that she had first picked up in the US Open in her kind of semi final. And I don't know what your kind of thoughts and kind of gut reaction to this was, but um, it took me a little bit by surprise. She said that she she felt it in her kind of first round match as well against um, Christy Arn. But uh, yeah, it was a bit, I think it was a bit of a blow to the, you know, obviously a blow to the competition, a blow to Serena Williams as well, you know you know we always kind of talk about that you know narrative of you know will she won't she kind of overtake kind of margaret court's all-time record of, of 24 majors but yeah a, a bit of a disappointing turn up really for for fans but also you know for, for serena williams 
Yeah, I mean, she wasn't really, I think, the favourite at any time necessarily for for this slam. I don't think, but I think I think she's taken the right decision because your Achilles is not something you want to mess around with, and you know she's got to think of her her chances here versus her chances next year at at the Australian Open or, or Wimbledon, where they're probably higher. And, you know, you don't want some long-winded injury kind of going on and on and on. She needs to rehab it. And, you know, she said that at the end of her first round match, she was having to disguise the fact that she really needed to walk with a limp. So, um, yeah, it's just like she said, it's bad timing and bad luck. And it's it's going to just take, you know, the, the necessary time to, to heal. And, and yes, it's a shame we didn't get that rematch. But, uh, you know, she, I think it's the best decision for her. And I think, you know, I saw some people on Twitter sort of saying, oh, she shouldn't have bothered, you know, coming to the tournament if if she was sort of injured. And it's like, I'm sure she did her very best to to see how it went. And obviously that first round, it was just kind of got worse over the course of the match. And, you know, she she had to make that decision. But Peronkova lives to, you know, fight another day. She's into the third round and perhaps we'll we'll make it to quarterfinals on the bounce in, in slam since since coming back. So, you know, I'm pleased that, her, you know, her opponent, her, you know, Serena's uh, opponent, Peronkova, has, has you know, benefited uh, from that. You know, I'm sure it wouldn't have been the way she wanted to, <laughs> but I'm, I am I really like Peronkova. So I'm, I'm glad that, you know, she's kind of got through uh, essentially and uh, hopefully she can, you know, she can go further. But um Victoria Azarenka was also in that that part of the draw, and and obviously she fell rather meekly as well in her in yeah. her second round match. So you know there is a you know potentially a, an opportunity there for exactly. for Peronkova. Um, but yeah, I think you know I was just going to add really kind of on on Serena Williams. I think you know she's always going to be asked that question on you know do you think does she think that you know she's going to be able to you know, overtake that, that Margaret court record. And I think, you know, potentially now this was a wake up call in terms of kind of the, you know, the limitations of her body. And, you know, we've seen, you know, we've seen kind of the top players on the, you know, the ATP side be aware that, you know, that the, you know, the physical um, exertions on a tour means that you have to kind of pick and choose kind of your events more wisely. And I wonder if, you know, Serena might have to to do that. I know it was going to be a tall order to do, you know, the US Open and the French over on such a, a quick turnover. But um yeah, I think it kind of it, it kind of remains to be seen whether, you know, what what fundamentally is gonna inhibit her from uh, you know what what fundamentally might inhibit her from reaching that grand slam goal you know is it going to be time is it going to be you know is it going to be her body or is it just going to be her form um but it seems like now potentially you know as she enters you know a, a, for, a 40th year um you know i it, it's a question of you know i think you know body's almost kind of giving her a almost kind of a wake-up call here in terms of uh, this is another factor that's gonna you're gonna have to overcome in order to in order to kind of beat that record. Yeah, it's a bit of a race against time, isn't it now? I mean, she's doing incredibly well. If if I was doing what she was doing, I'd be I'd be very happy, I think. So, we, you know, in the grand scheme of things, she's doing amazing um given her age and you know, I've it's just mad when you think about it, but I I do hope she gets across that line eventually and and let's hope that 2021 will be will be the year that she finally does it and you know, her Achilles will will heal um I mean, she's got a lot of time now. I mean, that's she probably does. the only saving grace. I mean, it looks like, uh, I mean, there might be a tournament after, you know, the French Open, but the, you know, the WTA schedule is not as set as the, 
the ATP schedules we were literally just kind of talking about before before we came on air. But it's um, non-existent, yeah. really. <laughs> there is basically nothing after the French Open on the WTA side of things, which is a real shame. And I mean, perhaps there'll be. I don't know if there would be anything announced like last minute, but it's it's a bit of a, a washout compared to the men. But um, Joel, the other the match that we did actually end up getting, and we you know not everyone pulled out. Obviously, we we did get some great matches in in the second round. Um, one match in particular caught the eye because there was quite a lot of aggro on the court. Um, also some shocking uh, serving and. And some cramping. And I mean, it had everything really that you would kind of possibly had a wheelchair. Want. Had a wheelchair. Had a wheelchair. I mean, yes. So that was Sara Irani against Kiki Burton's. Uh, it was a really, really long match. It was seven, six, three, six, nine, seven in the end to Kiki Burton's. Irani had match points. Um, she squandered a match point at six, five in the third. Irani had the, uh, <sighs> I mean, we've talked before on this pod, haven't we? Not for ages, probably, but we've talked at quite at length about her serve and its its downsize. But she, at one point, her ball toss was just not uh, not playing. I, it was, I mean, it was non-existent. She she was throwing up like four or five times, and then you know, sort of not able to actually serve. And in the end, she had to resort to an underarm serve, which I'm sure many people enjoyed, but um, not good at all, really. And I mean. It's just, <laughs> I guess, you know, club players or recreational players can certainly sympathise with that. You know, uh, I myself cannot serve to save my life. So I, I'm in no position to to judge Irani. But, you know, at a professional level, <laughs> it's a bit awkward. <laughs> yes, we all know kind of Sarah Rani and her serve and her kind of ball toss. But I think what's been most impressive about this Sarah Rani match was that it was... I feel like the surf, the serving was always kind of the, I mean, that was just the starter really, because the, the main course was, you know, this out, this kind of, uh, really, you know, I don't see this very often. Um, this, um, this whole uh, thing around, you know, Burton's cramping and, you know, Irani basically thinking that she's, you know, making a, an absolute meal of it, exaggerating her injury. And it was just, I mean, it was extraordinary to see, uh, you know, Irani on court. I mean, she was literally mimicking, uh, Burton's, uh, like leg injury. She was kind of just kind of, you know, having a joker in, in front of her, really kind of not, not at all in the, you know, the spirit of tennis. And, um, it was not, um, yeah, it was very, it was not a pretty sight. They did not, obviously, they did not shake hands. They did not touch rackets, um, at the end of the match. Um, and, you know, it was a bit of afters as well in, in the, in the, um, in the press conferences, um, afterwards. Cause I mean, Irani was literally kind of basically just saying, you know, one hour she has an injury and, go- and goes out of the court on a chair. And now she's, now she's perfect in the restaurant. I don't like these things. I'm sorry. So, I mean, where, where do you stand on this? Do you think, I mean, I, I feel like Iran is completely out of order. I feel like she was just frustrated that she wasn't able to kind of win. I mean, I think she served for it twice. Uh, she had a match point. Um, and it's a bit of, it, for me, it was a bit of, bit of sore loser, really. Yeah, I think uh, she was probably a bit pissed off that she couldn't serve and she'd squandered a match point and, you know, that she had basically lost the match despite an opponent cramping. You know, it's a bit like, I don't know. I mean, Dominic team, you know, cramping right at the end of the US Open final. And you sort of assume, therefore, that as the opponent that, oh, I've, you know, I've, surely I've got to win this if my opponent, like, literally, you know, is sort of falling to pieces. Um, but it's often not the case. And it is one of those things that can 
come on suddenly and then also you know suddenly disappear so you it might seem like the person is incredibly um out of it and then they can you know suddenly be okay just to play that point or whatever it's weird and i can understand how it would it does cause you know ructions for the opponent but yeah i think to say afterwards that like burton's was faking i think you know burton's needed 10 minutes of treatment on the court right at the end of the match and then you know to go off in the wheelchair she obviously wasn't feeling um feeling right and she's not one of those players i think that you know, it's a big drama queen or anything. Like she seems like a player that kind of just normally gets on with things. So yeah, it was just uh, an interesting, uh, an interesting match. You know, we don't often see too much aggro, do we? So when it does happen, it's, it's quite a, a talking point. And, um, I mean, Irani, it was, it felt a bit like she's was taking it, uh, she's taking it a bit out of her compatriot Fabio Fognini's, uh, kind of playbook. It, it felt like a little bit, um, cause yeah, I mean, Burton's not really, I think, a player we know for, you know, these sorts of, you know, putting it on sort of tactics. Um, it, it, yeah, it was just a, you know, it was just a situation that's, I think, completely understandable. It was a really long match. You know, we've just come out of a lockdown, you know, it's like, she wouldn't have had much, you know, match practice, um, you know, particularly on a, on a clay court, um, you know. So I just think it was, yeah, I don't think it was particularly kind of called from, for, from Iran. I just think, yeah, it was a bit, bit of bad sportsmanship, really. Um, it'll be interesting to see how, or even if Burton's is able to make it onto the, the tennis court for her third round match. Um, and, um, yeah, because she did, she, I mean, she said that she didn't really feel, tired it wasn't like kind of a sense of fatigue it was just i guess her you know her body just kind of conked out on her at the at the last minute yeah i think the temperature's not helping as well that like when it's very cold you know body's more likely to kind of cramp up and you know you need to keep it warm don't you but um especially as a professional athlete so it's about managing that i think she'd be i don't you know it's not like an injury per se it's a bit different isn't it so um Hopefully she'll be she'll be fine, and I mean <laughs> we won't have this again. But um, I mean we had another bit of aggro yesterday, last night, didn't we? Uh, Dan Evans in his doubles match. Um, <laughs> at one point I thought Dan Evans when he got up out of his chair and was sort of went over to the he opponent, he was ready for I a fight. He was going to throw a punch. <laughs> um, <laughs> Would have surprised me. Yeah. He was. <laughs> well, he exactly. was not happy. No, I don't really. I still don't really particularly understand exactly what happened. I think. Um, Evans and his partner Herkash, um, their opponents were saying that the ball had hit Dan Evans and that he should have owned up to it. Is that is that what was going on? And, and he said, well, no, it didn't hit me. So, um, you know, there's nothing, I'm not in the wrong sort of thing. Um, and the opponents had won that point anyway. So they were kind of unnecessarily goading him getting, they were goading yeah, exactly. him goading that's the word <laughs> i'm looking for thank you um and so yeah dan was just sort of really not happy that they were having a go and and uh basically just i mean if anyone's seen the clip yeah it's he gets up and you know sort of the umpire has to kind of step in the opponents say they did they did literally back down as soon as dan evans got up there was a bit of a you know they kind of they just literally did like a little like mini fist bump during the match to be like, oh, it's all cool. It's all cool. Um, but yeah, I, I loved in the clip. Yeah. Um, Herkaj, uh, yeah, Dan Evans' partner, he's just literally just sitting on the bench, just like watching this unfold and just like not looking to get involved whatsoever. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, there was definitely a bit of kind of aggro and tetchiness that was going on on the court in that sort of by Rani, but also by kind of Dan Evans as well. Maybe he was a bit frustrated from his kind of, you know, match with, um, 
you know his match with Nishikuri in the, in the singles. But yeah, there was uh, you know there was definitely some um, yeah some kind of venting of anger that could have it could have easily kind of been escalated but yeah i guess kudos to the umpire for making sure that the situation uh you know was diffused um let's kind of let's kind of move on because you know we were speaking about we were speaking about sarani and and her serves um and another person i feel like we're having you know more frequent conversations with about their serve is not for once sasha zverev but coco goff who Served 19 double faults um, in her loss um, to world number 159, Martina Trevisan. Um, you may remember Goff beat Joe Conta, you know, very good win um, in the first round. But um, yeah, came unstuck uh, against the world number 159, lost 7-5 in the third. And yeah, I, I mean, that was that is obviously going to be a big part of a game that she's going to need to kind of focus on because you, I mean, I feel like fundamentally you don't want to be serving double gi- double digit double faults in a you know in a tennis match and you know to serve 19 and give all those three points away um it's not a you know it, it it's it's definitely something that she's going to need to be able to rectify for sure it's it's something that we weren't really seeing from her you know previously like last year when when she kind of first burst onto the scene she was not doing doing so many and and in particular for them to come you know in such quick succession and to have such a high number um in two sets alone is worrying and i think it's probably because of the expectation that's been put on her you know as she with every tournament she plays there's such a sort of sense of expectation and you know she's no longer someone who is like the the real underdog. You know, this match, she was the favourite. She's higher ranked. She's expected to win. You know, she's knocked out a seed in the first round. And and uh, I think, you know, it's kind of a classic case of, of struggling to deal with that, I think. And it's going to take time for her to, I guess, adjust to that and uh, go away and do a bit of bit of work, kind of both on her serve, but psychologically maybe, um, so she can kind of handle this going forwards. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think when you watch a, a Coco Goff match on TV as a tennis fan, uh, I don't know what other kind of fans think out there, but I always kind of think that, you know, the commentators are always kind of like, whenever Goff kind of hits a, you know, a winner or a really good shot, they're always kind of like, oh my God, this is the, the future of tennis, uh, you know, et cetera. And there's a real sort of, you know, there is a, you know, there is a hype, you know, around her. And, you know, I think, you know, to an extent, uh, you know, that is, it is warranted. But as you said, I wonder whether, you know, is that almost hype? Is that level of expectation almost getting to her? Because it does feel like now when she kind of walks out on the court, it's like, you know, is there a sense, you know, of, you know, weight, you know, almost kind of having the weight of the world on, on her shoulders a little bit. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's something, you know, it's a pressure I don't think, you know, other players at her age will, you know, will have had. Um, and, you know, it's it's probably, you know, it is one of the reasons that, you know, the, that kind of rule was brought in place around kind of limiting, you know, exposure in terms of kind of, you know, having the number, you know, the number of tournaments played. But um, yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting one because I, I do feel like there are fans now who are just kind of like thinking, I know obviously Coco Goff's only kind of like, you know, 17 or so, but I do think there are some fans who are feeling that she gets almost like too much exposure and it's it's not, it's almost kind of not helping her. And maybe the, you know, the commentary is is not helping that, is not helping that fact. I think, yeah, maybe it's a bit of kind of lazy commentary in some circles. It's kind of like, oh, she, you know, most people know who she is now after her her breakthrough at Wimbledon last year. You know, she kind of took the world by storm in a way, you know, people who weren't really that into tennis know about her. And I think that's a bit 
crazy at times and that sort of the media have been quite quick to give her that label and I think actually if you're another young youngster who is sort of emerging at the same time it's probably good that Coco Golf is taking that mantle so you can maybe get on with your own stuff without having to deal with that pressure um so maybe it's actually long term yeah it's it's not a good thing and we've seen this with other players I'm just trying to think you know I mean Richard Gasquet for example when he was younger you know he was heralded as as the next big thing and you know that I think the pressure he he really struggled with and I think as well like we're so quick to kind of place these yeah these labels on people because we want a story we want some kind of you know this new kind of entity in tennis and we've been so used to the likes of like the greats you know you know Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Serena and we expect everyone coming through to like end up like them and that's 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 the rare you know that's not the common thing that doesn't normally happen so it's because I guess the era that we've also been living in when we've had such dominant players we kind of expecting that that's going to carry on with with someone new just taking over we are yeah we are a like clamoring almost kind of clamoring for greatness aren't we and um, you know she is she is one of those players I think that you know has a you know she does have that sort of presence like that like she would she has that presence and she will have that presence when she you know steps on court and you know I was kind of you know watching on on the kind of the tv you know during lunchtime I think it was kind of Sam Smith kind of talking about the fact that you know in the women's draw you know the fact that you know Serena Williams is out you know Azarenka is out um actually the players left in the draw there's not actually that many players who have that sort of you know that presence and that that aura about them um one, you know, a couple of players who probably you would put in that category who are still kind of on track. Um, Muguruza and Kvitova. I mean, Kvitova is just kind of going about her business and kind of and getting through with with not much um, with not much fanfare really. But um, you know, Muguruza as well. Again, she's came. I know she had a bit of a dodgy kind of first round match, but yeah, she also came through. Um, she quite came through quite easily. Um, Another kind of player, one of the in, in particularly in the bottom half, is is Kenin. Um, and I've watched both of Kenin's round one and round two matches. I mean, she she's just getting the job done, Kim. I mean, she's just winning ugly. Um, it wasn't particularly pretty against Bogdan, but um, to, today, but um, yeah, she was able to she was able to get the job done. Just about, yes. Yeah. So I wouldn't have been surprised if she'd lost that one, but yeah, she she got the job. She got the job done. She came through, um, as did Alina Svitolina, who was playing, um, a, uh, was it the, the, uh, Mexican Renata Zarazua? I think that's how you say her name. Uh, Mexican, Mexico's first, uh, I think Grand Slam main draw entrant for about 20 years. So, um, you know, amazing for them. And, um, but yeah, I mean, Svitolina had a weird match. She dropped the second set to love. Um, so went off the boil and managed to regroup to, to kind of get through in, in three sets in the end. But, uh, I'm sure she'll want to be avoiding such, a a scoreline uh, going forwards, but um, Halep's also through, you know, top seed. Everyone's kind of, well, not everyone, but most people's favourite for the title. She's got Anissa Mova next, who, who has been coming through with without the loss of many games. So that's a rematch of the quarterfinal from last year, which Anissa Mova won. So that's going to be interesting. That will be, yeah, obviously that, you know, Halep will go into that as a favourite, but Anissa mm. Mova will have good memories, fond memories yeah. of of their match from last year. A stat that I found, which I thought was remarkable, um, Sloane Stephens uh, lost today in three to Paula Bedosa. Um, 
we know that Stone Stevens hasn't really had a great uh, you know run of form over the last you know twelve months or so. So, a stat for all of our listeners here: Stone Stevens last beat a top one hundred player more than one year ago, um, which just kind of tells you the sort of Shocker. sort of rut that that she that she is in um, that she needs to get herself out of. Um, but yeah, one player that is you know, and, and Kim, you correctly called it in our in our. Um, in our podcast before this, uh, who's arguably maybe got herself out of out of a rut um, since becoming French Open champion uh, those years ago, Yelena Ostapenko took out the second seed, um, Karolina Pliskova. So Kenin actually is now the, the highest seed, I think, in the bottom half. But um, yeah, I mean, what do you what do you make of this Ostapenko? I mean, she's obviously again she's got good memories of of Roland Garros having won it. You know, now that she's taken out Pliskova, I mean, is she a is she a contender for the is she a contender or is it still a bit too early? I mean, Ostapenko is is known for being quite erratic, so I feel like we still have to take it one match at a time. Well, she's also known for winning the French Open, Joel. So <laughs> I think she's absolutely a contender. She's done it once before. I don't see any reason why she couldn't do it again. Um, yeah, she she's basically every time she's won more than one match at, at this tournament, she's gone and won the title. So uh, who knows? And she's now working with Thomas Hogsted, we think, you know, who had recently had a trial period with Joe Conta. Um, yeah, I, I was personally never in any doubt that Ostrobenko would, would win this. Uh, but it's the only prediction I've possibly ever made that's actually come true. <laughs> um, and I sort of watched the beginning of this match over my breakfast and I was like, yes, Ostrobenko. <laughs> um, and yeah, she, she kind of power is back. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, it's nice to see, you know, because her form has been pretty dreadful, I suppose, generally over the last few years since she won, uh, her title and she's she has um had a few kind of quarters and i think a, a semi at wimbledon um since then but in you know obviously at roland garros she hasn't hadn't won a single match since so i think you know i i think looking at that part of the draw as well i think i think it's pretty decent for her so i, I can see her making the semi-final um maybe uh at least i don't know um i might sort of stop any further predictions but uh you know i mean <laughs> it's nice to see it's nice to see her kind of getting getting that win today um and Pliskova, i don't know if she was still struggling perhaps with with that injury that she had uh in rome but she's just not really seemed very very much i mean you know she she lost it the second in the second round at the us open as well it's she's making a habit of these of this and um yeah habit of a yeah, lifetime exactly it's it's i i just don't see where she's gonna get that kind of final bit that's going to propel her to a slam. Um, but let's talk about a few other of the um, the possible, well, I, I, they're not contenders, but um, Canadian Canadian uh, women in the draw. We've got, uh, talking about youngsters, you know, forget Coco Goff. We've got Leila Annie Fernandez, who is actually the Roland Garros junior girls champion from last year. And, you know, she's made her main draw debut uh, at this tournament. She's into the third round. So she... We'll play Kvitova next. So that's going to be an interesting matchup. Um, you know, she's like Leila Annie Fernandez is, I, I guess, you know, like I was saying, she's, she does have a bit of hype around her, but I don't think anyone expects too much from her. Um, and she's still so incredibly young. So I think 
it's it's interesting to see how she's going to do um, with that matchup. We've also got one of your favourites, Joel, uh, you know, Jeannie Bouchard uh, into round three. No one's really been talking about her. Um, obviously, she reached that final, didn't she, recently in... Um, where was it? The, I don't know where, uh, where it was. Yeah. It was somewhere. <laughs> Istanbul. <laughs> somewhere in Europe on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was Istanbul. Um, but she's playing Iga Sriontek next. So that, again, is a interesting match. I think that could potentially go either way. Yeah, I mean, just a word on Leila Annie Fandes. I actually think she's one of the players who's benefited from all of this kind of, uh, you know, talk and hype around Goff that maybe has kind of, you know, kept, um, you know, kept players like Fernandez who are at a similar sort of stage, you know, in their, you know, in their career, you know, kind of almost in that blossoming phase just to let her get on with her game. And she's, you know, she's still for me one to, you know, one for the future. But um, yeah, she's making, she's making solid inroads at the moment. I mean, I'd still expect Kvitova to, you know, to come through that given her, you know, experience and her pedigree. Um, but, um, yeah, she's doing a, she's doing a great job so far. But, um, yeah, before we kind of move on, you know, uh, to the, to the men, let's just kind of address from a, from a British perspective, some of kind of the comments that have been coming out in the, you know, British tennis media over the last couple of days. Because, um, you know, we talked in our, you know, round one catch up about the, you know, the fact that all the Brits lost, you know, in the first round, never, you know, of course, never a good look. Well, you know, it came out that basically Heather Watson, interestingly kind of came out and said she doesn't really see i don't really see who's next um you know she said you know joe's 28 uh, sorry joe's 29 i'm 28 evo's 30 you know she's a bit kind of concerned about kind of the health i guess of british tennis and, and seeing you know where you know potentially these new players are are going to come from and um you know the head of the LTA kind of Scott Lloyd has come back and kind of, you know, not really agreed with her, you know, comments and kind of, you know, talking about players like, you know, Emma Raducanu and Jack Draper as potential, you know, potential British players for the future. Um, I mean, where, where, where do you kind of stand on this? Cause uh, you know, it was quite surprising for me that Heather came out with these sorts of comments because we don't really normally associate her with this sort of, I, I think like a point, like such a pointed opinion that we, you know, I I would have you know maybe have expected of, of another player, but I think it's it's something that I definitely you know should have been you know should be raised you know at such a you know at such a moment where yeah British tennis has had a pretty lousy you know tournament outside the you know outside the doubles so far. Yeah, I think she was a bit unlucky really with uh, the fact that she had the last match out of all the Brits because it you know fell down to perhaps her in the press conference to sort of be the one to like explain it all and and that's a bit unfair you know putting that mantle on her um you know it's not her responsibility is it that the Brits didn't do so well um I think she's got a fair point you know that's that's her experience isn't it from like working you know within the LTA setup and if she thinks that there isn't enough support being spread um, around, you know, where it actually needs to go. I think she was saying, you know, that the LTA help, you know, they're a selection of players, but there's so many more that really need the help that they should be kind of spreading it around a bit more. Um, and if that's that's her opinion, that's that's totally valid. And, you know, I know that Scott Lloyd came back and said, you know, that he was disappointed to hear that, you know, she was saying that there wasn't enough support, but at the same time, like maybe he needs to also like listen and take on board the the feedback from from people who have been experiencing you know the other side of of that help. Um, I know that he kind of said ultimately, you know, the players are responsible for how they perform on court. 
which is you know there is truth in that of course but there's you know players rely on so many factors it's it's not 100% down to them is it the, the fact that you know where they've got you know to, to get to that position like to be in the first round of the French Open so many factors have obviously had to occur to kind of lead up to that um that day so it's it's there's a lot more complicated I think than like both of those kind of sets of comments actually kind of detail um but I think there's always going to be work to do isn't there an improvement and um, I know Heather mentioned that there was quite a lot of politics at the LTA and I mean what organization doesn't have politics Joel uh I'm sure that there is and you know if you're the head of the LTA you're going to probably try and brush that under the carpet aren't you but uh I, yeah I don't know if she wants to reveal what kind of politics she's talking about but uh you know that would be certainly interesting just a kind of final final bit on me before on this section I think before we kind of go to an ad break is you know I think there's a lot of you know conversations particularly with kind of governing bodies uh you know in British sport for example where you know what is their you know role and responsibility because you know other kind of governing bodies they're not you know they're responsible they're not actually responsible for you know creating performance talent to go kind of to the top of the world they're more focused on the you know the participation um aspect you know the rfu and the 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 fa they're not necessarily there to kind of focus on you know getting you know the net finding the next person to get you know to number one in the world but i do think that you know with the lta it's almost kind of like you need to make sure you have that you know pathway set up and yes kind of performance is is important you need a strategy in place but you've got to have the the participation bit you know down as well and i think making sure those two are connected in the right way you know is really important um in order to kind of make that i guess make that transition um so yeah well i'm i'm sure we haven't heard the last of this and as i've always felt there's always been a kind of a discord between you know the top players and potentially the top brass um at the lta so let's kind of see how it kind of you know plays out and and develops but uh yeah we're going to go to a quick ad break now and we'll be back to talk about the men and some Hawkeye controversy with Dennis Shapovalov. Okay, Kim, we are back uh, for the second half of our round two catch-up at the French Open. We're going to be talking a bit more about the all the events in the men's section, men's section of the tournament. So we're going to start with the match between Dennis Shapovalov and... Kabayez Bainer um, in round two. It was a five-hour epic. Shapovalov, I think, will be ultimately kind of kicking himself um, that he wasn't able to kind of get himself over the line. I think he served for it um, twice in the deciding set, but, um, you know, great result for his opponent. Um, but really kind of the, the biggest kind of talking point coming out of this, and, you know, I think we had one of our commonly kind of frequently uh, discussed themes, you know, the other day around sort of, you know what's you know what's the best format for a fifth set well the other kind of classic question we've come we're coming up uh coming up to today is should we have hawkeye on a on a clay court because shapovalov can feel a bit um well you can see if you go on his twitter you know he's saying he's calling for the french open to install hawkeye because a poor call basically cost him you know two match points um in a match he went on to lose so Again, I, I mean, this is an interesting one because, I, I, yeah, I know there's kind of talk on 
you know, Hawkeye and it's margin for error. And that's the reason, you know, it's not brought out, um, you know, a wheeled in at kind of the French Open. But again, there's this sort of like, there's all this technology here where we're not, we're not sort of, you know, we're not, um, it doesn't feel like tennis is, is using it. Do you think that's, do you think that's right on a, on a clay court? Or do you think, you know, it's time that, you know, clay court tennis, you know, the French Open should, should get with the times? Yeah, I mean, we've gone from automatic line calling, you know, that they used at uh, Cincinnati and and for most of the courts at the US Open uh, to kind of, you know, gathering around marks in the the sand and the dirt, basically, on the clay. A bit of a difference. I mean, yeah, there's certainly calls for technology, you know, to be used more. You know, we had uh, Kiki Mlozenovic calling for VAR kind of style um, reviews yesterday and and now this. So, I mean, I know we've had this sort of debate before a bit about kind of whether Hawkeye would be appropriate for the clay. And I mean, some of our listeners um, have kind of sent us their two, their two cents worth. Um, and there also seems to be a bit of uh, clarification perhaps needed between Hawkeye and um, something which I've never heard of actually, Fox 10, uh, which is actually slightly different. So uh, Fox 10 is apparently more accurate. Um, it's It's got the actual video or photo frame attached rather than, than Hawkeye. Um, so Hawk, yeah, Fox 10 is, has less margin for error, but it's, it's not an approved, uh, I, I think I'm correct to say this, it's not an approved technology yet but it's in the kind of stages where it would um, become in, in use, you know, if it's sort of signed off. Um, I mean, I think that's always been the issue, isn't it, with Hawkeye, that it is still prone to like an error margin. But obviously, if it's okay to use on hard courts, then and there's still a margin for error. I mean, it is the same for both players, isn't it? Essentially, if it, but and I guess, you know, luck of the draw, you'd, you'd hope that, okay, you might miss out on a few points, but you might gain as well by the same technology um is that still even with the margin for error is it still more accurate than kind of just gauging on on following where the ball's landed and hoping that the umpire's seen the right mark <laughs> i don't know it's a bit of a complicated one i think i'm not entirely sure how i feel like i stand <laughs> yeah it feels like there's multiple kind of technologies out there now kind of doing different things and i think you know that maybe it's a question to figure out well you know what is the best what is the best solution? Uh, you know, what is the best solution for a, you know a clay court? Is it Hawkeye? Is it is it Fox Ten? Because you know it does sound like they do kind of different things. I need to you know as a fan, I think I need to be like kind of almost kind of learn a little bit more about you know Fox Ten. And I wonder whether there's a bit of a you know fan education role that um, I you know I don't know if commentators or or whoever need to do just to kind of talk about kind of what you know, what it is that's, you know, what it is is available and what, and what it isn't and, and why not? Because, um, you know, we're getting these situations where it feels like, you know, fans are getting frustrated, players are getting frustrated because there's technology out there and, you know, it's not being applied. And as a result of that, the, you know, it, it's turning, you know, it's turning matches on its, on its head. Um, you know, I think with, with this one, I think it's interesting because, you know, we've, we've obviously grown up, you know, with, with Hawkeye and we've, we've seen it being used, you know, all the other grand slams. And it's just funny to almost kind of see the French open as the, almost as the black sheep. And, you know, I think we've seen other grand slams kind of innovate, uh, you know, in, in other ways, um, you know, with, you know, Wimbledon, for example, updating its, you know, fifth set. 
And I wonder if this is an area where, you know, the French Open need to look at and think about how we're going to innovate this because, you know, clay courts do have their, you know, they have their own challenges. They have their own unique challenges. That's what we love you know, about a clay court. But, you know, it feels like, you know, at this point in time, um, there needs to be kind of a discussion on around, you know, how, you know, surely we can make it a bit more, you know, accurate than it is at the moment and not, not rely as much on, you know, on you know humans you know fundamentally kind of humans just like looking and pointing at, at spots in you know in the dirt so um yeah i think it's yeah it's definitely a, an interesting one um i mean uh, yeah it's yeah i mean we're gonna have to see how it progresses it's not this is not an overnight uh you know decision is it it's gonna this is one that's gonna it's gonna take time and you, you wonder whether you know there might be a time where you know, like the, you know, the next gen series, sorry, the next gen finals was used as a proving ground for, um, you know, for, for innovations, whether there's a, a clay court tournament that's designated almost kind of with those privileges so that we can test, so we, that we can test these things that aren't at the French Open at the moment, um, to see if they, to see if they work or not. And, and, and also to see if the players use it. Yeah, they could bring back blue clay as well while they're at it to uh, have a bit of fun with that. But um, yeah, I mean, even if, you know, that particular ball in question today had, um, you know, if the call had gone Shapovalov's way and he'd had those two match points, he might still have lost anyway. So, you know, he still, you know, could have, like, he, it wasn't the be all and end all. It wasn't like it happened on a match point or something. Um, I totally get his frustration, but at the end of the day, you know, you have to kind of, take these moments that happen and uh i guess he's trying to he's like fixating on that one thing but there was you know other things that obviously happened as well around his loss um but yet let's look at some of the other kind of results in the men's draw because i mean gosh yesterday we had sasha zverev in another five setter against pierre hugues hebert um who's got great hair at the moment actually he's sort of grown out and it's like in a little ponytail yeah, it's a bit of a footballer's hairstyle, I thought, actually. It is, yeah, he looks quite stylish. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, Sasha Zverev, never making easy work of his progression through a slam draw. Um, came through 6-4 in the fifth set, uh, hung in there, got the win. I, I, I feel like he's becoming a bit of an expert in kind of just getting the job done. And it may not be pretty and he may not be playing that well, but he knows how to win still. And there's a lot to be said for that, actually. You know, people sort of moaning at him saying, when's he actually going to play like really decent tennis? But I don't know if he can still get the job done without doing that and then turn up and perform, uh, he, you know, when it really matters. And I, I don't know, is there a massive issue with him? Kind of, I, I guess the issue is that he, you know he's knackering himself out unnecessarily, and when he gets to the fourth round quarterfinals, he's going to struggle. But um, you know, he's a fit guy. <laughs> it's interesting because he again sat kind of coming out on on Twitter uh, today was a third of Zverev's Grand Slam matches so far in his career have been five setters. Which is a which for me is remarkable. Twenty of his sixty five matches at, at Grand Sams have gone to to five sets, and he is a player. I feel like we you know we talk about it, you know when 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 we talk about him at a kind of Grand Slam level, he ne- he's never one to kind of make it you know easy on himself, and he does he does have this. He is almost kind of learning uh, to just kind of gut it out and and win at kind of all costs, um, which. 
in my head, it almost kind of makes him like one of the most frustrating players to watch on tour because, you know, he's got this undeniable talent. Um, but but despite that, it always comes down to the fact that he's got to kind of you know, find a grind a way out and, um, you know, figure it out in the, you know, in the crunch points, the, you know, the dying kind of moments of a, of a fifth set. But um, yeah, I think it's something he might have to address if he wants to, you know, really kind of, you know, win a Grand Slam in terms of, you know, having those sort of quicker wins so that he's a bit more fresh come the you know potentially the kind of the second week in you know in the tournament um interestingly in that match i was kind of watching the highlights um you know Uke Zerbeard, uh, you know he's a great player great serve volleyer um and uh when it when it finished and they kind of arrived at the net um Uxerbear went for the he went for the fist bump kim um which in in these covid times Verev was not keen to he was not keen to participate in and literally gave him this death stare about how dare you it was like how dare you try and give me a fist bump um and <laughs> yeah it was just a bit i think it was just like i think Uxerbear was a bit like Hey guy, hey, we just had a great match. Let's have a bit more than a a tennis, a t- you know, a racket tap. Um, but yeah, Zverev, Zverev was ab- having absolutely none of it. Oh, love it. I mean, I've seen so much of Sasha Zverev's matches over the last month. I, I feel like I'm going to become his biggest fan um, just because he's always on the telly and he's always getting embroiled in unnecessarily long matches. So, but anyhow, we'll see how he gets on if he actually manages to win in three sets for once. Um, we've had a whole host of other players though, Joel, reaching the third round for often the very first time in their career. A lot of players that no one's really heard of or their names that we have heard of, but we've never really seen them play because they're kind of always appearing on our live score app or in kind of early rounds of slams and never, you know, getting any TV coverage. I mean, let's look at some of the names. We've got Galan, who is the guy that beat Cam Norrie in the first round. He he backed up his his win over Cam. So fair play to him. He got through to the third round. Um, Daniel Altmaier, Literally never heard of him. Tiago Montero. I have heard of him, but I don't really know anything about him. Roberto Carballes Baena, who beat Shapovalov. Uh, Lorenzo Sonego. Norbert Gombos. Great name. Hugo Gaston. That's a, a new name for me. Um, and then, you know, Federico Correa. That's, that's Guillermo Correa's little brother, isn't it? And um, we've also got Pedro Martinez. Um and Stefano Travaglia, who I think is going to play Rafa in the next round. Um, and throw in, we've also got Sebastian Corda, who is Petter Corda's son. So, um, you know, good tennis genes going on there. So, yeah, a whole host of new names um, that have cropped up, you know, that are, are new. And obviously Yannick Sinner as well, who, you know, very young prospect, but he's into the, the third round of a slam for the first time. Do you think that there's any... Do you think this is because of, I mean, what do you reckon is is the reason for kind of their sudden emergence as opposed to kind of some of the, the more established, like older players coming? Well, I say older. Some of these guys are, are older, but they just haven't made it to this stage of a slam before. Is is there anything? Is, is it is it 2020? Is, is that the, the, the rationale behind this, Joel? <laughs> what do you think? Uh, you know that there, yeah there's there's been a lot of first time um you know round 3 uh, players reach kind of round 3 and you know i think there's a kind of a multitude of factors kind of going on here and uh, you know obviously one of them is the fact that you know not all the top players have chosen to play the you know the french open and that's you know in itself kind of created opportunities for you know these players to kind of 
you know, breakthrough and and get to a point in the grand to get to a point in a grand slam, you know, that they you know may have never got to if uh, you know coronavirus um, you know didn't happen. Um, so I think there's that. I also think the fact that you know we've not obviously had a proper build up, um, you know, for the clay season. You know, we've had you know such a massively quick turnaround from hard court to clay court that I think it's made upsets you know, more likely. And particularly if you factor that in with the fact that, you know, maybe some of these players didn't even choose to go to the hard courts. They literally just chose to stay in Europe and, and go straight to the clay earlier on. Um, you know, I think it's made them even more dangerous, um, you know, coming into, you know, coming into the French Open. And I think that's why you're seeing, seeing them profit. And, um, you know, again, we, we were talking before the, the podcast, you raised a good point about the fact that it's great to see this because, you know, these players are, you know, they might not have reached this point. They might not have even, they might not have got this amount of prize money ever before. So, and they're making the most of this, you know, this weird tournament and making the most of these, you know, this opportunity that not everyone is going to turn up. It's going to have to be, you know, pe- pay people to, you know, fill the boots of and, um, yeah, they're you know they're they're going about it. So um, you know it's 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 interesting. You know they're not, of course, they're not household names, but um, yeah, I, I'm sure that you know a few of them will go you know go even further. But um, you know we were you know again I was kind of seeing on on Instagram like Daniel Altmaier, he's won as much prize money I think in paying five hours of of tennis at the French Open this year than like he's done in like the last seven years of his career it's literally that uh you know it's that it's that crazy Daniel Altmaier to win the French Open how about that (laughs) (laughs) could you imagine that would really be the most strange thing ever ever to have happened um and actually talking about you know people doing well Italian men are doing pretty well we've got um Travaglia in the third round Yannick Sinner Cecinato you know, former semi-finalist he is, Sonego and, and also Berrettini. So, you know, pretty decent for those guys. Um, as I said, Travaglia is going to be playing Rafa next. Uh, Rafa came through against Mackenzie McDonald, uh, yesterday. Uh, Novak Djokovic has also, uh, won through extremely comfortably today, uh, with the loss of five games. He's reached his 70th career win at Roland Garros now. Uh, Dominic team also came through, uh, pretty comfortably against Jack Sock. So, the, you know, the three kind of candidates for the title, uh, if you like, are are strolling through at the moment. Um, Dominic Team's got Casper Ruud, though, tomorrow, which would be quite interesting because he's been playing very, very well, you know, in, in the run-up to the tournament. So quite intrigued by that one. But do you reckon Ruud will, will trouble him at all? Ruud had a really topsy-turvy uh, second round match against Tommy Paul, uh, which went five sets. Um, uh, yeah, Tommy Paul's a funny one because I always, I actually think he's one of those rare Americans that is his best surface. I think is a clay court, but um, yeah, Casper Ruud is going to be, I think, is going to be quite tricky and, and definitely pose some problems for team. But he's been able to navigate um you know given he the lack of sort of um time he's had to prepare for the french open he's navigated you know chilich chilich and uh who's it kim who was in the second round uh, jack sock sorry chilich and jack sock pretty well i mean that jack sock match i mean the third set uh, i think went to a tie break sock mm. was really pushing to take it to a fourth but team was able to kind of uh get the job done so um 
yeah, I mean, it's not going to get easy, easier for team. I mean, I think he, it looks like if he comes through rude, he's got Vavrinka um, in the fourth round and then even maybe Diego Schwartzman lurking as well. So I mean, he is going to be battle ready if he does get through to the, you know, to the business end of the tournament, to the, you know, the semifinals. So, you know, we shall see. But yeah, definitely kind of a lot easier and a lot more plain sailing for for Djokovic and, and Rafa in their kind of second round matches. I mean, Djokovic Barankis was on um, over my lunch break and, you know, he and was... ended he, before the end of your lunch break, probably. Yeah, <laughs> it pretty much was, if I'm being honest. I mean, he lost five games, 70th career uh, 70th career win at Roland Garros. So, um, I mean, they're both going pretty well and I'm sure we're going to be talking about them a lot more, um, you know, further on, um, you know, further down the line. So, uh, you know, we shall see. But um, yeah, I mean, Sissipas as well, a lot more straightforward in his second round match. Bautista Agu, Crenio Buster also through Rublev as well. Um, you know, all the kind of, I think all of the sort of contenders and the, you know, dark horses are kind of making their way through and we kind of, it's all kind of bubbling up nicely, but there is also, I feel, some potential to have some, you know, some first namers kind of getting their house, like a, a Cecchinato run from a, a few years ago. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. There could be a, a rogue semi-finalist lurking. <laughs> uh, perhaps Pablo Carreno Buster can make it too on the oh. trot. <laughs> actually, he, he's playing RBA next. So it's a RBA PCB. How is it? Okay. I think so. Yeah, I'm sure it is because I was like, oh, it's the battle of the acronyms. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we just need Davidovich Fakina to turn up as well. ADF. <laughs> but it's all the three letter, three letter acronyms. Um, but Joel, I think we should end today on Grigor Dimitrov because, you know, he, he's sneaked through actually into round three in straight sets, both of his matches. So quite nice. But today, I think the main thing was the fact that he couldn't get his trousers off and, um, had a bit of difficulty with his his uh, his tracksuit bottoms. I don't know if you saw it, but for me, this was the, the best thing that happened today. Uh, watching him trying to get his uh, right trouser leg over his right shoe and then realising he didn't have enough time and sort of, I don't know, weirdly like limping with like one leg down and one leg up to the to the um, net to do the, toy, uh, the coin toss. Um, if anyone hasn't seen it, it's a bit of a laugh. And uh, yeah, he's always kind of creating waves with his tracksuits, isn't he? I know we've spoken about this before, but he wore that crazy one <laughs> at the AO and now he's he's drawing more attention to it by the fact that he can't get it off. So there we go. Well, I mean, he's yeah, he's going through. No one's really talking about him. So maybe maybe we're in for a, another a Dimitrov run. Who knows? But um, I'm sure we'll, we'll find out over the, you know, the coming days. And um, yeah, I hope you can stay tuned with us at the passing shot for the rest of the tournament. Um, remember to subscribe to us uh, on wherever you are listening to us, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher, wherever you are uh, listening to us, make sure you click that subscribe button. Um, and if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts and you have been enjoying our episodes so far, make sure to leave us a rating and comment. And you can follow us on social media at Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. And if you'd like to email the show, you can do that as well. PassingShotPod at gmail.com. Do get in touch. We'd love to hear all your thoughts and uh, suggestions or feedback. So yeah, do give us a shout and we'd love to hear from you all. Yes. And uh, we will, of course, be back for our round three catch up. We're probably 
I mean, we do have social lives, so we're probably not going to do it on Saturday evening. We're probably going to do it on Sunday morning. So make sure um, you look out for that um, in your um, on your on your podcasting platform of choice. But um, yeah, I'm going to get back get back to the tennis tomorrow. See what other see if we get more aggro turn up or any more sort of weirdness happen. Um, but yeah, I'm <laughs> looking forward to it, and I hope you, and I hope you are too. So. Uh, We'll, we'll catch you again for our round three catch up at the weekend. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.